Thanks to Bose for supporting this episode. Experience high-quality sound without headphones. That's the magic of Bose Frames Tempo. High-performance sports sunglasses with a revolutionary Bose open-ear audio design that allow you to hear your music and surroundings at the same time from a workout unlike any other. With sweat and weather-resistant design, a durable lightweight nylon frame, and soft silicone nose pads, Tempo is designed for comfort and performance. It's the sound you expect from Bose with everything you need from sports sunglasses. Visit Bose.com to learn more. Welcome to Habitual Routine. I'm your host, New York Roadrunners coach, Anique Lamar, and this is our last episode of our first season. This whole season, we've been discussing virtual marathoning, right? Because of circumstance, we've had to really pivot, and we have embraced virtual marathoning as a way to connect, get excited, and still race. And I thank you so much for joining us in this journey. You know, this has been a tremendous amount of fun in a time that we all really need a lot of fun. We've had some amazing guests on, these awesome experienced runners. We've had experts in their fields come and share their knowledge to make our virtual marathon journey really successful. So I got a lot out of it. I hope the listeners got a lot out of it. And thanks for joining us for this whole season. Uh, you know, the other thing I have to say to you is either good luck or congratulations, right? You're virtual marathoning. That's probably why you're tuning in. And so if you have done the race in this race window, congratulations. We're so proud of you. You did it. If you haven't done it yet, because this is your last weekend to do it, right? Good luck. You got this. You're ready, right? You can do it. You just got to do it before, like on or before November 1st. That is Marathon Sunday in New York City. Uh, and if you do choose to do it on November 1st, you know, it should be a national holiday. We love that day in New York City and we will miss it as it was. But what it can be is going to be just enough and it's going to be totally okay for this year too. So we'll take good enough this year. Now we saved our best for last. Uh, I am unbelievably excited about what we did here, right? You know, we got two of the world's best marathoners and we put them in a podcast and I got to talk to them. So the track nerd in me is like screaming inside this entire episode. I'm trying to keep it cool, but I'm like really like super jittery. We did it live and we're talking to Shalane Flanagan and Meb Klefeski, right? And so these two powerhouse athletes broke down their marathon experience. They are supreme physical athletes. Like they're so good at what they do, but they're also really smart. And the analytical approach that they take to their mental side of the sport is just as interesting as them putting one foot in front of like the other. So let's get straight to this. Let's hear from them. They're the pros. I'm just the one who's along for the ride having the time of my life. Let's hear from Meb and Shalane. Hello and welcome to Habitual Routine. I am your host, New York Roadrunners coach, Anique Lamar. And this last episode of our podcast, it is lap 12, being present and marathon reflections. Now, for those of you who have heard my voice in the past, this is what I look like. And this is my little home studio, like so many of you have. Uh, but I promised you some co-hosts earlier in the season. And I said we were be patient. We'll get them. They're here. Um, and so for our last and best episode, we have two of the best marathoners in the world who are going to be here as my co-host. And we have Shalane Flanagan and Meb Kofeski. Welcome, Shalane, and welcome, Meb. Hi, Anik. Hi, Meb. Hey, Shalane. Hey, Anik. Thanks for uh, having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, you know, for the goal for today is to help provide some last-minute tips and encouragement 
for our folks running the virtual marathon, and we couldn't think of two better co-hosts to join us today and really unpack uh, what it is to be um, you know, a marathoner. And uh, it doesn't matter if you are a first-time marathoner or if you're an Olympic marathoner. There's a lot of pain that goes into marathoning, and there's a lot of focus that's required, and you two are the experts on that. So thank you for joining us uh, to deep dive into some of these topics. And the very first topic is being present. We're going to get into that in a second. The second one is reflections and the trials and tribulations of marathon running. It is not an easy process. Uh, We know you two make it look easy at times, but it is extremely complex and requires a lot of training. And so we'd love to talk about that as well. Um, So let's get into being present. It's sort of entered the national psyche these days with Michael Jordan's documentary, The Last Dance. And the quote uh, that I'm going to read to set the stage is from the author, Mark Vansell. And he notes uh, in the documentary, Michael's gift was not that he could jump high, run fast, shoot a basketball. His gift was that he was completely present. And runners have to be the same way. I would say, because I'm very biased and I love running more than any sport, I would say even more so because it is, especially for marathoning, very long. You're out there a while and it's actually very painful. So presence in mind is very, very important. So my question uh, to Shalane, let's start with you. How do you define your ability to be present during a race? What does that look like? What uh, sort of mental work are you doing? Are you doing during a race? Yeah, that's a great question. I believe there's only, you know, so many hours that you can train the body to prepare yourself for an event like a marathon takes a lot of focus. Um, And that being said, the other big component is what happens between the ears. What's going on in the brain and what you're telling yourself has huge value in how the race is going to go for you. So, you know, I try to focus on running the mile that I'm in. If I'm in mile two, three, four, five, I'm not going to be thinking about mile 24, mile 25 and trying to anticipate what's going to happen there. I'm going to run the mile I'm in. I'm going to focus on taking evaluation of my body and how I'm doing. Um, I'm going to soak up the sounds, the smells, all the little details that make up an amazing marathon like the New York City Marathon and truly live in that moment and run the best mile right there. Um, It's a waste of energy if you're thinking too far into the future or even in the past. So you're just going to focus on what you're doing right there. And like I said, it takes a lot of practice, though. You have to practice that in practice, that mental control, and um, so that when you enter a race, you're in this state of flow, and you just let this flow out of you instead of coaching yourself and teaching yourself how to do it in that moment. Yeah, I love that idea of flow because it just can't be like you're running and then you're like, got to focus, got to focus, got to focus. Like that's not that's not it, right? It's that you you've practiced the physical uh, nature of running and then you're prepared that way, but you also have to prepare mentally. Um, Meb, what does being present look like in races for you? Well, well said, Shalane. I mean, to be present is running. You know, running allows you to be making decisions in the moment. So there's no shortcuts to marathoning. And most people know that they can't jump around, but you got to follow the steps from mile two to three to four to five. So you have to enjoy being in the moment at mile two. You know, you got to be able to, like yoga, try to get you into the room to, to hear your breathing or deep breath in your flow of air or how your stomach's rising up and down. And with running, that's what it does. You know, you got to be able to breathe, your mechanics, and also 
as elite athletes, we get a little advantage because we look for the tangent. So when you're on the tangent, you are instantly making a decision, being in the moment. So those are the factors that you have to be focused on and allow you to be in the moment to help you be the best you can. Yeah, and I love this. You know, Meb, uh, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about how you can spend emotional energy, right? And you said that you sometimes will like zone out a little bit uh, so you don't spend all your emotional energy at the beginning of the race. Is that that's true? Did I, did I quote you correctly on that? Absolutely. And it is uh, a marathon is a test of patience. And, you know, and you have to make wise decisions while you are in the moment, but also know that the journey is 26.2 miles. So you can make decisions for mile 24, 25, or yeah, mile three or four. So you have to be able to conserve energy. And Coach Larson and I usually talk about the first hour, you want to come calm and collective and not worry about because you know it's a race of endurance. So you have to be able to save your energy so you can make those decisions when it's needed to make, uh, to make gains or to be able to make a move later on. So you have to be kind of be in the moment, but at the same time, don't worry too much about the head, but you have to be able to save energy because there is a wall that we all have experienced at one point or another. And, you know, you don't want to just sprint. It's not a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a test of patience. So you want to conserve energy as much as you can. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us definitely can recognize the physical energy that marathoning requires. But I think as you start to get into the upper levels of competitors, they're the ones who really understand that emotional energy is also not limitless, right? And so you have to really measure your emotional energy and how much you put into it so you're not constantly on thinking for you know two hours. You, you're really measuring it. So I'd love to ask, you know, Shalane, I want to really know, um, you know, both of you have won New York and as the New York Roadrunners, we we love to have you on. Uh, you know, we're so excited. We love our past winners. Uh, how did you, you know, as a miser, like spend your emotional energy throughout your win? We saw the fist in the air at the end. We knew you were jazzed at the end. Um, but what was it like during the race and how did you spend that energy? Yeah, when I'm standing on a start line, I think of myself like as a full tank of energy and emotional energy that I'm harnessing and I'm trying to keep as much within me to unleash at the end, because that's when it's most crucial or at the most crucial moment, wherever that is in the race. So I like to, like Meb says early on, I am conserving, conserving. I'm thinking about don't expend energy there. If someone drops their bottle, don't get upset, like conserving the energy constantly so that when it's the appropriate time to unleash the emotions, it's the right time. And so what you saw from my win in New York was a lot of conserving of excitement. I could feel it building. It's like, you know, the plot is just thickening and it's getting better as you're reading the book and you're at the <laughs> end of this book and you just like, I want to find out what the ending is. Um, and you have to just keep it, the excitement contained because you can sense something great is going to happen. And that's how I felt. It's like with each mile that I got closer to that finish line in Central Park, my emotions just started to bubble up, bubble up, bubble up. And then until it it exploded in Central Park when I could see that finish line stretch. Um, you know, you you just have so many emotions, not just for yourself, but it really truly is the marathon is a reflection of the team that helped you get there. There's so many people behind that person. Every single person that stands on that start line has a team of people supporting them. And so I think, you know, the emotional component is, yeah, fulfilling a dream that you have, but it's not just your dream. It's the dream of the people supporting you as well. So it's really an emotional moment. Um, you know, and with Meb and I, 
being, you know, um, you know, a, there was a drought of American wind. So to, that's like significance of, you know, 40 years since a, a American woman won the New York City Marathon and knowing the history and um, everything that signifies New York City and um, some of the hardships that New York has been through. And it's just a big, it's a big emotional melting pot. And so, um, but yeah, you have to conserve early and it's tough because you're so excited and you have to harness that excitement for the right moment and to unleash it. I love it. I remember uh, being in the sort of the back wings of the the race area and someone just ran by and they go, she's doing it. She's doing it. And I was like, Shalane's doing it, you know, like, and like, and I was super jazzed and excited because, you know, I knew the history of the American, uh, Americans winning, you know, a, a women winning the race. Um, it was a sort of a drought moment. Um, but then you're physically there having to, you know, execute the race and have that emotion at the same time, right? All I had to do was stand there and be happy. You had to run. I had to make sure I didn't trip over my feet, you know, I, know. So. <laughs> um, I love it. I mean, it was just such a fun moment. Um, putting it mildly. It was a fun moment. It was a big epic moment. Um, Meb, uh, you know, how do you spend your emotional energy throughout races? Like you're, you're quiet, you know, you're telling us, uh, with coach Larson, you're sort of, uh, you know, controlled and, and, and quiet at the beginning of the race. What is that second hour of the marathon, especially the one that you won in New York? What does that look like? I mean, we all know, remember where in Chile won, I remember I was mile 24. So just, you can't jump very high, but somebody tells you Chile won and you could just jump and feel that energy. So we all know where, you know, those monumental moments were, where we were, and, you know, conserving energy is very important. And that's what, you know, life is about patience, marathons about patience. And, but you want to get ready for the second half, you know, it's not the first 13 miles or the first 19 miles who win the race is what happened afterward. So you have to do a lot of visualization. That means you have to be think, how am I going to feel? Am I working hard? And, and when it comes to hopefully race, it becomes a second nature. You say, I've been here. I visualize the Central Park uh, Hills. I got to conquer. I, I got to be in the moment. I got to go up this hill. How's my mechanic? How's my form? How's my breathing? And you, you interact with the crowd. I mean, to be able to just point out the USA jersey or give them thumbs up or some somebody will say, hey, we love you, Meb, and then you just give them the pump to the heart, that kind of. So you have to be in the moment and be able to carry on that energy that can propel you forward. And it's just a, a most gratifying moment to be able to pull the victory, not only for yourself, but for the city, for your family, and for the all people who help you be the best that you can, because you can, you know, you can predict, but you know, you have to run that 26.2 miles and it's never over until the, the tape touches your chest because as Shalane alluded to, we are fearful that we don't want to chip ourselves or we don't want to cramp up and you're trying to do everything that you can. And that's part of being in the moment to allow you to experience the positive things, but at the same time, the next ride is as important. Yeah, I, I think that's so astute because there really is that back and forth of energy, right? Like you're giving energy out, but the crowd's also giving your energy in. And I think that the the skill set of of both of you is that you're able to like harness it appropriately, not like surge at mile 20 needlessly because you happen to see someone that you love right there. Like just really that harnessing um, of energy is so central to, to your skill set. Uh, Shalane, you know, as a coach, I'm going to ask you a coaching question now. How do you train presence, right? So you're working with your athletes. How do you train presence? How do you get them to understand uh, why it's important? Now, I suspect some of your athletes might know this already, but how do you continue to train it, especially maybe as they think about going up to the marathon? Well, honestly, I think we're all students of the sport and students of the mind. So I'm constantly reading. And um, when, 
you sent me some of the questions for today. I actually pulled up, this is a book I'm reading right now, because as a coach, I feel like you always want to learn, um, even as athletes, but I am now seeking a lot of guidance in terms of like, how can I be the best coach I can be? So, and I, this is not like promo by any means, but I just started reading this book, Think Like a Monk, um, such good information and insight on how to be present and how to implement it yourself, but then also like help other people. Um, so, you know, for sure I draw upon my experiences and I talk to my athletes, but, you know, having things where I can give them something to read and guide them because there are certain pieces that maybe resonate more with each athlete differently. Um, you know, we have some athletes that are just mental steel cages and nothing rattles them. And then we have athletes that know that, they're not necessarily working on the physical aspects at practice. They're working on their self-talk and how they can be better at, you know, what they're telling themselves to get through a workout. When the moment gets hard, what are they saying? And it's constantly, you know, my mantra has been train the brain, train the brain. So it's a constant process. And I think it's like a life journey of doing that. Um, but it gets back to, I think, um, a little bit of what some of the, my monk friend is teaching us is just like getting back to like your breathing and like controlling your breathing and thinking about your heart and like gratitude and like grateful for, you know, the ability to do this, not be overwhelmed by the negativity that potentially is coming into your brain. Um, and it's turning things into a positive, like, you know, I, this may not be going the way I want right now, but I'm grateful. Like my legs are working for me. My heart is beating. I'm working hard. I'm able to inflict as much pain and discomfort upon myself as I wish I'm in control of that. And to kind of embrace it because it's rare, you know, that you're able to push yourself this hard. So I think it's that breathing and sense of gratitude is what I try to teach the athletes is like, how lucky are you? You're a professional athlete. You get to do what you're doing right now um, as a lifestyle and inspire other people. So um, just having that sense of gratitude and grounding them instead of being overwhelmed by this big audacious goal of maybe winning a gold medal. Like, let's just be appreciative for the health that we have today and focus on just what we're doing right now. Yeah, little little bite-sized pieces. I, I love that. Um, you know, I'm a coach and I remember I was coaching an athlete in a 10K and she's running around the track and I was trying to sort of get to her about like this, like, you know, and she'd been talking about this 10K race for years or, you know, basically a whole year. And I I look at her and I say, There's nowhere else you'd rather be, right? Like this is this is where you want to be and you know, embrace it. You want to be here. And she just looked at me like she wanted me to fall through the earth. So like yeah. I think I think it's like a constant um uh, you know, coaching that even sometimes real time in the moment you're like, just kidding. Uh, yeah. But I, I do love the gratitude of it. Um, Neb, you know, when you're, you know, you have team for kids, you're always talking to runners, our runners love you, and they love to get advice from you. Um, and you're so giving of your time. So like, to when you're talking to these runners, um, how do you help them understand being more present? Like, what advice would you have for them to say, like, you should be present to somebody who might not understand what that means? You know, what I tell people is to just have fun and enjoy the moment. And uh, the hardest part about runners is, anybody, is tying your shoes and getting out the door. Once you get to do that, you're going to be in the moment. You're going to be able to say, hey, I'm just going to run the first half mile and the next mile. And then you can interact with other people. And I haven't met a runner that says that was the worst run ever. I'll never want to do it again. Because you always, no matter how bad it is, you always are grateful. And they have the ability to run. So... 
I just tell people or kids to enjoy the moment and have fun that is because if you're having fun, you're going to keep doing it. If you keep doing it, you're going to see improvement. And if you see improvement, you're going to see the performance for yourself. So have fun and be in the moment and enjoy the experience. Yeah, I love it. Have fun is not just like a throwaway phrase. Have fun is like you you actually like that gratitude. Like you like you need to feel something about this that's positive. Like really go have a good time. And that will make your performance better because you'll be you'll be sent like you'll be centered when you're doing it. So I mean the beauty of runners, and we're talking about present, the present is no better than feeling a sweat. I mean, if you sweat and you know you did a good workout. And when you do a good workout, you like you feel thrilled. Hey, I, I have a, this sense of accomplishment. I, I, you know, when you do this, you know you earn it. And when you earn it, you feel proud of yourself. And it's a great way to just uh, to say I have done it. And runners just want to see that. They're type A personality. They want to go out there and exercise and 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 grateful that that what they have because at one point or another, we all know that somebody or someone that can't do what we are able to do. So that makes it that much even deeper to appreciate what running has done for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd love to talk about the idea of presence um, and being present as key to persistence and problem solving, right? As runners, especially marathoners, you have to do a little bit of problem solving. You have an hour or two to be out there on a course and something might happen. Um, So I'd love for both of you to sort of reflect, uh, like Meb, let's, let's kick it off with you. Let's talk about the 2012 Olympic trials. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what the problem you were experiencing, and maybe the problem wasn't like that big a problem, but how you uh, how you sort of got your 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 head in a good place to be able to really say, okay, like I need to get to this place. What was that 2012 trials like for you? 20, 20, 2012 trials were something that I didn't make the 2008 Olympics, so I want to be able to make an uh, like another team, but. Only you can believe in yourself and the people who love you, who care for you, will be there every step of the way. And having making the Olympic team in 2012, going to London Olympics, you know, I was ready and I was excited and I wanted to prove people that I was still a competitive at the best in the world. And my goal was to get top three, but I was having a tough, tough time and having a big uh, cobblestone beating my feet up and... I was feeling sorry for myself uh, about, you know, mile 20, uh, mile 13 or so. I would find myself at 21st place saying, you know what? I got New York City Marathon. I already signed up for New York. Might as well just stop here and and get ready for New York. And But I thought about it. I said, look at down on my jersey as a USA. How many people would love to be in my shoes at this time? And how am I going to explain to my daughters that I didn't finish or Technically, it was supposed to be my last marathon, so I had about 49 people at the finish line. I'm like, I got to get to that finish line no matter what. No matter how painful that is, I got to get to that finish line. I was thinking, how many people are going to pass me? I wasn't even thinking I'm going to pass people, but positive thinking and commitment is huge. And to be present moment, I just said, you know what? Let me get to the second group. Once you get to the second group, there's eight of us. Maybe I could be one of those guys or maybe two and then see how it goes and then I was from 21st to 17 to 15 and to 10. And, you know, it's not my goal to win a top three or personal best, but I said, I'm positive thinking is important. And eventually with about 5K to go, my coach Bob Larson was in the, on the course, he pointed out six fingers. I'm like, well, I'm running the neck as a Japanese guy. I'm going to sit and I'll kick him, get that, that fifth place or so. But then I, something went to my mind. Unfortunately, our, Sport is tainted with some drugs users. And I said, I didn't even know who was up in the front. If in any case, if one of them get busted with drug testing, I want to be the one moving to fourth place. And 
amazingly with about 500 meters to go. There's a picture of me at the Santos. Uh, I pass him and I just say, good job, the Santos by my head. I'm thinking, got a quick, 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 quick action. And I see the, our, our flag on the side, on the left side. So I'm like, should I grab the flag? Should I not grab the flag? Should I grab the flag? Should I not? This is the moment you have to make constant decisions. I grabbed the flag, but then the Santos were trying to catch me, but I wanted to both uh, hands in the air with the flag on top of my head, but he was trying to catch me. So I just tucked it in and kept pushing. And amazingly, I came in fourth place. And it's not all about winning, but getting the best out of yourself each time and every time. And that opened the door for me to be invited to the Boston Marathon and make, and other races. So uh, overcoming adversity, overcoming obstacles is part of the problem solving that we discuss about. And, but more importantly, you have to be in the moment. If you drop out, if, you, if you're injured, obviously you need medical, you have to do what's best decision for you. But quitting is not an option because you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Oh, I love that. And so that was the 2012 London Olympics, not the Olympic trials, right? This is, we're talking the Olympics, right? Right. Oh my gosh, I got that wrong. I'm sitting here like cobblestones. I know those were <laughs> London. There was cobblestones in London. Um, I love that story. And I, I remember that finish and I just was, uh, you know, just beside myself. Um, so I'd like to thank you both for just making my life really interesting. Do you want to run the 2021 TCS New York City Marathon? Title sponsor Tata Consultancy Services is giving away an entry to one lucky runner. To enter, download the official virtual TCS New York City Marathon app, take a selfie wearing a virtual medal, and tweeted at three tags. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one, at TCS underscore NA. Number two, hashtag this run NYC. And number three, hashtag sweepstakes. Do this by November 2nd. No purchase necessary and rules are at on.tcs.com backslash sweeps. See all this information in our episode description and good luck. Shalane, I, uh, let's talk about the 2016 Olympic trials because I think you had a very similar uh, situation occur. What happened in 2016 and, and where was your mental uh, space during this race? Yeah, so the 2016 Olympic trials was held in Los Angeles and the day presented to be quite warm, warmer than I anticipated. And unfortunately, you know, I prepare really well. I have a great team of people surrounding me. But I wasn't totally prepared for the warmth that day. Um, I felt really good, um, was running really strong up front with my teammate um, and training partner, um, Amy Craig. And we'd broken away from the field. It was pretty much solidified. We were going to make the team. But as we all know, there are highs and lows in a marathon. And we were entering into the last lap. It was a criterium course. So it was three laps to complete the marathon. Um, and I started to just feel a little lightheaded. I started to notice like that I was getting chills, some signs of classic dehydration. Um, so I, I told my, my teammate and training partner, you know, we're, we're out front, you know, have a minutes, couple minutes lead. Um, no one's in sight, but I said, you know, like earlier on in the race, she was struggling and I coached her through it, talked her through it. I said, I'm not leaving your side. We're going to make this team together. We're going to do whatever it takes. I'm not leaving your side. We're going to do this together. Well, the tides had and tables had shifted and I was starting to really struggle. And I noticed I was getting dehydrated 
And I told Amy and she's like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But I knew deep down it, I was heading in a really, really bad place. Um, so it was about like 10K to go. Um, I, you know, just latched on to the rhythm of my training partner, ran next to her, just told myself, this is just like practice. You don't, don't freak out. You've got a lot of a big lead. Um, but I could tell my condition was deteriorating. And by the time we got to about 5k, which was on the other end of the course, I told my teammate, like, I'm not doing well, you need to leave me, you need to take off. I don't know if the gap is closing, because I felt like we were slowing, I felt like I was holding her back. And I said, you got to leave, you got to go. And she's like, No, you're fine. You've got this, we're fine. And her words of encouragement, she had no idea how much they meant to me because I was ready to just um, lay down um, on the side of the road of LA. Um, but, you know, her words of encouragement and the thought of not training with her for the Olympics was such a great motivator, despite the amount of pain that I started to go through with the dehydration. And I was starting to become delirious and chills, even though it was like, you know, hot out, I was cold. Um, but her persistence and staying with me, I literally did have to live so much more than I've ever lived in the moment. It was literally just kicking one foot out in front of another to get to the finish line and just praying that if I leaned forward, I would go forward because it felt like I just wanted to curl up in a ball and just be on this. I didn't want to continue running at all. Everything in my body said, don't run. Um, but I persisted because the thought and the pain of not fulfilling my goal of making another Olympic team was greater than my discomfort in that moment. And I knew that, and I knew I would have so much regret if I gave in to the demons of the pain. Um, so thankfully my teammate was just absolutely incredible, just encouraged me. There was a point I couldn't even talk to her anymore. And I just had to just latch onto the rhythm of her legs and her breathing and, Fortunately, we started, well, we started to get passed by people. She went ahead and won. It was a great race for her. Um, and it was one of the hardest races I have ever run in my life besides the 2018 Boston Marathon where I got hypothermia. So two ends of the spectrum, <laughs> really bad. But I will say I'm so proud of myself for having fought through. I made the Olympic team, finished third. It was the one of the hardest, besides Boston, the hardest races I've ever run. But I've probably never been prouder um, of myself and in that moment. And yeah, representing yeah. the USA is great. And I'm really happy that I was able to do that because I loved my experience in Rio and training with my, my teammate. Their memories I'll have forever. And um, I'm just very grateful for good friends. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I think I think good friends. I think you were both in these white kits, right? There was these white uniforms. And I remember just watching and being like, calling my college teammates being like, no, I love you guys. And being like, no, we love you. Like you inspired teammates everywhere for years to come because we were just like, so in awe of, of this, uh, you know, this relationship you two there's had. There's a but it bond when you suffer with other people running. There's a deep bond that is just unspoken. Um, you know, there's things in life that you're bonded by. And I, I swear when you when you run with people and in pain and you do some of the training together, there's, it's really special for sure. We can all attest to that. <laughs> I, I always say you can't keep secrets from your training partners because there's something about like bonding and you're not looking them in the eye and you're like getting some miles and then all of a sudden you like, you tell them all your life secrets. Like, I don't know if you two have exactly. that, but. 100%. There's something about the lack of eye, con eye uh, contact that allows people to really share stuff they would never tell anyone like and it's, it's crazy so running does that you know I, I call it windshield time um with like kids if you get kids in a car they'll talk a lot because they're not looking at you so if there are any parents that want to get some information out of their kids 
I've noticed um, that kids will share a lot more in a car. So we're going to have you both on the parenting podcast, the New York Roadrunners parenting <laughs> podcast after this to get all those hot tips. Uh, Cause I think that's such a great point. Um, and I, I just have, you know, as a coach to stop for a minute and say like really to our listeners, what, what uh, Shalane and Member talking about is like living every moment, like step by step sometimes like, and, and in these really beautiful moments of victory, you have to just go one step at a time and hope that the next moment it's going to be better. So if you're virtual marathoning, you know, if you're in a rough patch, just take it step by step. We're not joking. This is blessed by our two pro athletes here, step by step. And you might find yourself in a, in a place that you didn't think you could possibly be, you know, 20 minutes ago. So I just, I love it. Um, shifting gears ever so slightly, you know, uh, as former professional athletes, uh, now you have the opportunity to really reflect in a way maybe you didn't in real time as competitors. Um, so we'd love to share, uh, have you share a little bit about, uh, some of the trials and tribulations, um, that you've had as runners. And I know you've already been doing that beautifully uh, so far. So like as fans, we see like the superhuman side, uh, but we know that there's so many human feelings, so many, so many human feelings, there we go, uh, reactions and emotions. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what like pre-race would look like for you? Um, and, and basically what I'm saying here is I remember when I was a competitor, I would say, I'm not nervous, but I'd be super nervous. And then when I retired, I was like, everyone, I, I was so nervous, right? So it's the idea that now you can speak a little more freely because you might not be racing some of the people that you, you had to keep it cool with. So, uh, you know, Shalane, um, pre-race, uh, were you uncertain before races? You know, what mistakes were you imagining? Like, you know, sort of where was your headspace before a race? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure, always nervous, but I always took the sign of nervousness is that I cared. If you're not nervous, I think there's probably something wrong, but there is, there can be some confidence that you can carry. Cause like you can, ref I like to reflect on my training log and be like, wow, like that was really good and, and gain confidence from seeing how I executed. But there's, you know, there's no like flawless buildup. Let's put it that way. You know, there's been plenty of times where I've had to miss a workout or um, less mileage than I wanted because of a little injury or a cold or so you just have to acknowledge that that's going to be part of life and you can still execute and still do a great job and you're not going to give up just because one one thing went wrong. Um, but yeah, like for example, my first marathon was the New York City Marathon, one of the best marathons in the world and the most competitive. And I remember sitting on the start line being like, I... I can't do this. Like, I don't think I trained enough. Did I train enough? I don't know. Like, am I going to make it past, you know, mile 20? I've never run over 20 miles. Like, am I going to implode? Do my legs fall off? Like, I I had no idea. So I was just like, you know what? If I just finish today, I set the standards pretty low. Um, I'm like, I'll just be, I'll be really happy with myself. I get to call myself a marathoner. And, um, you know, with each mile that went on and I was still feeling good and my legs were still attached, I was like, this is pretty good. Um, so I had, I had a good first experience, um, with my first marathon, but I was for sure, even though it went well, I was for sure really second guessing myself and like, you know, just wondering if it was actually going to go, you know, if I'd done enough and, um, there was some uneasiness, but reflecting, and having coming up with a plan, my coach and I always come up with a plan and how to execute and just controlling what I can control. That certainly helps. Um, you know, I try to go on automatic pilot the morning of a race. Like I have everything laid out. I write out on a piece of paper exactly what I'm doing from when I wake up until the gun goes off. So that automatic pilot, I don't overthink it. And it's usually helps me keep the nerves in check um, by being like a little bit more organized um, 
the night before it helps. So yeah, um, uncertainty is just part of it and nerves are definitely part of it, but I think it just shows you care. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, Meb, I'm going to ask you about your first marathon. You and I were talking uh, last week or a week and a half ago about your first marathon. And can you just tell us a little bit about where your headspace was at? Because I, I love this story too. Well, it's uh, similar to Shalane getting to the starting line. I also did New York City Marathon in 2002. And uh, I was nervous. I remember telling uh, Dina Caster in training that how am I supposed to go 26.2 mile work where I barely can make it 15 out of race pace. <laughs> But that's part of the training philosophy that can help you get to that starting line healthy. And but you get anxious, obviously. And I felt so great going mile 16, First Avenue. You know, Coach Larson and others tell me be patient, First Avenue, be patient. But I felt so comfortable, so like the joy of the crowd got me going, really inspired, and went for it. And it was cold day, 38, 39 degree, and that water's been sitting there for hours and. I threw my beanie away, my gloves away, and I'm like, I'm ready to compete. I got it down to four people. I'd say worst scenario, I got fourth. Best scenario, I can get second or third or even win it. But and then, you know, the imaginary wall kind of hit me. And uh, every bit, it starts, you know, started with a nice cadence. It starts stomping the ground and my shins and my legs start hurting and got slower and slower and slower. I finished the marathon. I ended up getting ninth place and finished 212.35, but the Olympic A standard was sub 212. So I said, I have to do another marathon to shave off 35 seconds. There's no way. This is my first marathon and my last marathon. I never wanted this ever again. And, and my, my mom was there. My dad was there. My dad tried to massage me. My mom's like, she was such a disappointment saying, you know what? Stick to the 5K thing. Okay, no more marathon for you. And, you know, so I am glad I didn't stop because I went back to Eritrea where I was born and I saw how people were surviving uh, without electricity, no running water. This was a personal choice that I made and it was a discomfortable 40 minute. But, you know, I got to that finish line and I said, you know what, uh, this is nothing compared to everyday life people have to experience. So I came back hungry and want to do more marathons. And in fact, Coach Larson had to hold me back because I was like, I'm ready to go. And and uh, I ended up doing eventually my second marathon in, in Chicago and around 2010-12, I mean 2010-03. And that said, oh, this can be fun. But I, before that, I did not have a good experience. Yeah, I'd just like to thank you for not quitting or listening to your parents <laughs> in that particular moment. You would have depri uh, deprived of us like 20 other marathons that were wonderful to watch. Um, so I think that the reframing, though, is really important. Would you say, what what is the big lesson you got out of that marathon? Was it like, you need to wear your hat? Or was it reframing it so you it's always better the next one? What was the lesson out of that marathon? The lesson of the marathon of the 2020 year city marathon was there's ups and downs to the marathon. I was thrilled of a lifetime going first avenue. I'm like, I got this. And then you go through the bad patches. But at the same time, it, I, I tell I, people that I got my PhD that day, what to do and what not to do. It was a very expensive mistake and painful one to, at that. But the lesson is be patient. Uh, preparation is key to success. And don't, what we talked about earlier, you have to hold your emotion. Don't get too, too much carried away. Also, the early stage of the race, you got to be conserve your energy for toward the end, especially in Central Park when the hills are very demanding. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I've got a question that my uh, producer, John Phillips, has written here. And I'm going to ask you, Shalane. Um, and it's, tell us about a time you've messed up and hope no one would notice. This feels gossipy. But like, yeah. what 
What is your gossip? Mr. Phillips wants to know the secret of, I don't know what he's looking for here, to be honest. Maybe maybe your shoe came out. I don't know. The time that I messed up and hope no one would notice. Well, That's what it says. In 2018, I had to take a porter potty stop and I hope no one would notice. But no, everyone noticed. And it became like part of the story of the eventual winner um, and how, uh, you know, she, she helped her friend take a porter potty stop and then she went on. <laughs> so if I could, that, that was pretty embarrassing. And I think something that like, I wish no one would notice, but so you're saying though, like that no one noticed, well, people notice. So yeah. Yeah. No, I will give you that. I think that's it. You win that yeah. one. That, that was another, you know, moment where you're like, to all those people who've helped me in a rough patch before, you know, we were calling all those people up, yeah. up and uh, and feeling solidarity with them when you were going through that. Um, Meb, you know, to answer John's question, was there something that you did uh, that you messed up in a race and you hoped everyone would just pretend it didn't happen or like you, you were trying to hide it? There's three of them. One of them when I was in high school. Uh I guess it was a quartarium course instead of going the first loop and then you go over the bridge, the second loop. So I got lost in a race. <laughs> uh, I, you know, people noticed I was ahead so much, but the people who were volunteering, they thought I was in last place. And they kept saying, go make a right instead of go over. Uh, second one was I was at the uh, San Jose Rock and Roll Half Marathon. I can't believe I missed the finish line tape because I was so in the moment where the clock was. The mayor was holding the finish line on the other side. I missed that. <laughs> in the moment. And the other one very embarrassing is that in 2011, uh, I didn't have a pocket in my warm-up. So unfortunately, I, I like to have chapstick, my breathe right, and Vaseline and, uh, on my racing flats for the last things. And I use the chapstick. I use the Vaseline. But unfortunately, I forgot the breathe right that I was on my foot. And... Uh, it was there for the 26.2 miles. I still run a personal best, but it would have been better if it was on my nose. Yeah, I think that is. I love that. That it's just, it's just along for the ride. Um, I was going to say, I don't think anybody's done like a Lopez LeMong and finished a lap early and done a big victory <laughs> up in there. So I, I didn't think you had those up your sleeve, but those are, those are pretty good. So thank you for reflecting. And so that brings us to our very last question, uh, which is, uh, did you have any running rituals that you were doing when you were running professionally? And do they still carry over into your uh, post-professional life? So are, is there any like superstitions you had? Uh, like what's that transition like been like? So Shalane, um, why don't you kick it off? Yeah. So I had a favorite number, which is eight, which is just like, I, I don't know why, but every time I had the number eight, like I would look for it everywhere before a big race. So like even behind me, I don't know if we can catch it, but that's my Olympic bib from Beijing. And as you see, it has an eight. Um, and when the Olympic ceremonies opened, it was on 8808. Um, when I won the New York City Marathon, I had um, table eight for my fluids. Uh, I'll look for it like everywhere. And now I do that even for my athletes. I'll like find out what their favorite number is. And I'm like, oh, your room is number two. Yep, you're done. <laughs> Have a great race. So I'm like a little superstitious about numbers for some reason. Um, and then if I'm helping my athletes like pin a bib on, I pin it really weird. Like I pin the, the, the like fasteners, like in the bib, not like I pin it weird. So I like do it to them because I think it's good luck. So I it's love like it. a weird quirky thing that I would do 
um, that is like still now I project onto my athletes. So I lo- that's what they're there for. They need to like house some of that, that stuff we have. And now literally I'm going to go look at bibs now of some Bowerman women and be like, how are they pinning them? Yeah. Um, I love it. Uh, Meb, what is your superstitions or any rituals you had and, and are they still active in your day to day? Yeah, I think for me, when I was competing, uh, I like to put uh, my jersey on a pillow and pin it, make sure it's straight. Um, camera time, you know, gotta be, gotta be looking good, I guess. And I love to have for me, ritually have a spaghetti, red sauce with meatball is whatever I go. I try to have that. Um, but as other than that, I think that's pretty much it. I love it. So I, so I, you're not having a lot of, are you having a lot of spaghetti these days, Meb? Uh, well, a I little bit. Not a, Ice cream, uh, that's ice cream. But you know what? The other one that I carry every day, for whatever reason, I guess I have to write tie my right shoes first. It's never the left one. <laughs> that is I- why? I don't know, but that's, that's always been the case. I love it. I think this is great. So you've heard it here, athletes. That's the secret to the marathon. It is tying your right shoe first and then your left shoe and then pinning your bib on in a creative manner is what it is. No, I'm just joking. It's being present throughout the entire race. Um, this has been a masterclass. Uh, thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you so much, Meb. Uh, you know, having you two be my co-host for this last podcast has just been tremendous. You both have such a wealth of knowledge physically, but really the emotional side is really where uh, we see professional athletes just show us their their true strength. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Anique. Nice to chat with you. Thank you, Anique. Thank you, Shalane. And great to be with you guys. And that's a wrap on season one of Habitual Routine. Thank you to Bose and TCS for supporting this episode. And thank you again to Meb and Shalane. As always, thanks to our team who helped make this show happen all season long. A huge shout out to my co-host who nearly made it to the end with me, Roberto Manje. Also thanks to executive producer John Phillips, our producer team of Steve Mura, Ben Delaney, Sam Dupuis, Gordon Bakoulis, Lily Corsaro, and Ted Doyle, and our engineer and editor, Greg Korbanoff. Additional thanks to Rob Bozenelik and Molly Shiraishi for supporting our marketing efforts and Sam Grotewald from our pro athlete team. Also, thanks to our partnership crew, which is Jamie Grapper, Shannon Page, Emily Gaines, and Megan Houlihan. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on this virtual marathoning journey. This has been really fun to connect with these amazing coaches and these experts in their field, all to support this idea that you can run no matter where you are in the world. And we're all connected by that. This has been great for me. I hope it's been a really great experience for you. So on behalf of myself and our New York Roadrunners team, We'll see you soon. Feel it in my body. Feel it in my feet. And it feels so good.